And these four women from the McClintock family sat down, a mom and two daughters, uh, to write the Declaration of Sentiments. And one of them had the genius idea of modeling it after the Declaration of Independence. And all they did was change two words. They added, and women. We hold these truths to be self-evident that men and women are created equal. This is A New Angle. And I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week. Really excited to bring you today's episode, our sixth in the Sea Change series. Our guest today is Jennifer Palmieri. Jennifer's career in politics is legendary. She served in the Bill Clinton White House, worked as President Obama's communications director, and most recently ran communications for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Shortly after that campaign, Jen published her first book, Dear Madam President, an open letter to the women who will run the world. It's fantastic, and it offers some important lessons for both women and men that we explore in today's conversation. We also chat about Jen's next book project that she is cranking away on right now. Some things I learned talking to Jen that I'd like you to consider— First, we talk about how women should engage the world differently and what that means at both the individual and the societal levels. Second, Jen has some important ideas about ambition and how that trait is viewed differently for women than it is for men. Third, she has some great advice for young women looking to change the world and make a positive impact. Finally, a little treat for those of you who listen all the way to the end. You'll get some great music tips from Jen as well. Anyway, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think that you will too. So now I bring you Jennifer Palmieri. Okay, so we're here today with Jennifer Palmieri. Jennifer, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm very happy to be with you, Justin. We just had a discussion about how to correctly pronounce your last name, <laughs> the Jersey version, the Mississippi version, which is where you're from. Um, did I get it right? Yes, that's right. You, okay. did. you did. Very good. So... I guess the obvious question is, what are you doing here in Missoula? Okay, so I love Montana. Um, my husband works on conservation, okay. um, natural resource issues, and so he's here doing some research, partly with the university. And I'm writing another book, and so I tagged along. But I do, um, I find the state fascinating. Like the history is fascinating, the labor history, yeah. the government history. I think the politics here are, are really interesting. Um, it's beautiful uh, and. I, we're running the house, and I want to ask the people if we can buy it because <laughs> I'm ready to move to Missoula. Awesome. Well, that's interesting because I, I heard you in another interview. You, you, you live, your primary residence is in the Chesapeake yes, area. Uh-huh. And then you referred to the, uh, having a place in the mountains of New Jersey, and I just thought, <laughs> okay. So your governor, Steve Bullock, who's a good friend of mine, makes fun of me a lot yeah. about our mountain home in New Jersey. But my husband grew up in Fort Lee, New Jersey, okay. and his dad was a police officer. And back in the days when police officers could afford to buy a second piece of property, mm-hmm. there are beautiful, I mean, you all would call them hills, um, but in New Jersey they call them mountains and lakes in New Jersey. And they bought a little, built a little cabin there. And so we do spend a lot of time in the mountains of New Jersey. Yeah. Well, now you're in the real mountains. Yep. <laughs> and uh, writing a book, which can be sort of a very isolating experience. Are you getting out and enjoying some of the the country? I do. I go for a I go for a very long walk every morning to kind of sort through uh, thoughts, and usually one in the afternoon. And then you know you can only write. You really can only be productive for about. I'll probably fuss about it for 14 hours, but I'm only actually writing for about six. And okay. So eventually, you have to put it aside and. You know, go out and, and enjoy the you know, sceneries and restaurants and 
great people here. Sure. Although I just I'm doing the math here, fussing about it for fourteen, <laughs> writing for six is the, the four hours. No, oh, six is part of the fourteen. Oh, okay, yeah, got six it, got is it, part got of it. The 14. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, still, those are long days. Yeah, they, yeah, it is. It's not. It is. I, I love it, but it is. Um, it's a trying. Uh, you know, it's a taxing process. Yeah. I so I would love to learn about your kind of your entry point into politics. I mean, you, you right out of college, right. working for was it Leon Panetta? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, because we have so many students that you know, I'm educating mostly freshmen, and you know, they have all sorts of dreams about what they want to do, but no idea how to take that first step and how how to actually go from student with no experience to actually being in what they want to be doing yeah so i was i think like the the short answer is get into try to get into the center of whatever industry you're interested in even if it's at a very junior level right so i was lucky in that i i went to college in dc because i knew i wanted to study political science and it's not a very practical major my father assured me and um so you better be in dc to do it and I interned for my congressman. My congressman happened to be Leon Panetta. It could have been a total doofus, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just lucky because he went on to become Bill Clinton's chief of staff and Barack Obama's secretary of defense. So, um, but I did find that, uh, you know, so I tell people if you're interested in politics, like get in on the ground floor of a local race or a statewide race or a presidential because mm-hmm. presidentials hire tons of staff and um, and try to pick, you know, pick a job that puts you in the middle of it, even if it's not a job with a lot of prestige. I found those were the places where I really learned the most. Okay. Um, like as an example, Leon Panetta, when he became the chief of staff um, for Bill Clinton, I had been working for him at the budget office in a legislative affairs slot, and he wanted me to be his personal assistant in the West Wing. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm 27. I'm a professional woman. I have a serious career. I can't take an administrative job. And um, decided to do it. And, you know, I mean, I was in the West Wing of the White House for three years working for the White House chief of staff. I learned a ton Mm -hmm. um, and found that that, particularly when you're young, it's better to immerse yourself in the center, not worry about titles. Okay. So something I try to advise students is whatever role you take or whatever your entry point is, make yourself indispensable. Totally. And so talk about that. I mean, at an entry level, you you obviously – you didn't ride coattails all the way up. I mean, you made yourself indispensable. How how do you sort of how did you approach that? I did make myself indispensable. I mean, I was like the best intern yeah. on Capitol Hill ever. Um <laughs> and I dived for every ball and I just I don't know, I came in with an ethic. Uh I don't know, I come from a military family and my dad was in the Navy. Um my mom worked in and outside of the home and that's just kind of how we were all raised. And I did make my I mean, I don't I, I look back on it now and um I see that that is what I did and that not everyone does that. When I was 21 years old, I didn't understand that not everybody did try to make themselves indispensable. I'll tell you, I do think, I mean, there's something about women, too, that are sort of driven to that place. I think it's kind of trying to trying to fit in. Um, in writing the book that I'm doing now, I think about how women still feel not at home in the workplace, right? Okay. And it's like, you're like, well, maybe it's because 
for all of your life, every Saturday and Sunday, we the family sit down and watch men, you know, watch boys and men oh, perform sports. Yeah, yeah. These you know, I mean, you have. just just from such a young age, all of the signals that you're sent that um, you're not at the, you know, you're not at the top of the line, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, the truth is is that the professional world. We took spent a very long time, thousands of years building it, and it was built by men for men. And so, you know, not wrong to feel uh, not quite at home, and it wasn't quite built for you. And I think that we, I know, like for each job, I would just try to figure out, like, well, who am I supposed to be here? What do they? It's like a Rorschach test in reverse. What do they need me to be? Sure. And I'm going to be that person. And I think that made me very successful. to a degree, okay. but I kind of left parts of me behind in that and, and wasn't really um, as thoughtful as some of my male colleagues about like, well, what's my next step for me? Okay. I was just like glad to be there, sure. right? Yeah, sort <laughs> of along, not along for the ride, but like a little bit caught though, up in it a, bit. a little bit like, yeah, particularly when I worked in the West Wing in the White House and you know, I was really surprised. I worked for President Clinton. There are people who were not surprised to be there. There were people I worked with who huh. that was part of their plan. They sure. were going to work in a White House, and then they were going to go home, and they were going to run for governor, or they were going to go home and run for mayor. And I just, you know, I was like, you know, and then they would ask me, you know, and they're, um, you know, men that were interested in my career and wanted to be supportive. And like, well, Jennifer, where do you see yourself in five years? I was like, yeah, I don't know. Hope you like you still want me around here in five years. Sure. You know, it would be great. Um, so it is. Uh, I you know, and that's not true for all women, but I think we're more likely to want to just fit in and serve um, whatever you know, fill whatever vacuum there is, than be deliberate about. Um, our choices of our next of our next job or what kind of role we're going to be in that. I don't regret any of my choices. I do feel like I learned a lot from each of them, but looking, but I've gotten to the point now where I want to be more, much more, you know, deliberate and take the time to sort of incorporate all these different pieces of yourself that of the person you were, you know, in a job twenty years ago, and incorporate that in your life now. Yeah, I mean, that, that I don't know if hesitance is the right word or reticence or however you want to frame it, but it, it, it aligns with what we know about, you know, women with regard to no, uh, negotiations, mm-hmm. sort of uh, less likely to ask for that raise, to ask for that promotion, to assert themselves in that way. I mean, yeah. they affect your sort of, the narrative you're describing seems to fit in with that. I do. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I just, and I think now in this book I'm reading now is just that how deep um, these models that we hold in our heads and what we think is expected of us. But um, after, you know, sort of in the middle when Me Too was really exploding and yeah. like the fall of 2017, a uh, male friend of mine who worked for the Clinton campaign, worked for Hillary for 10 years, you know, very progressive, good guy, la, la, la. And he said to me, he's like, gosh, you know, it never occurred to me that women go through um, every day feeling fear. And I was mm. like, what? <laughs> you know, and he said, wow, I just hadn't thought that, you know, and you thought, and it was just, it was a real eye opener for me because I thought, well, if you, it had not occurred to me that men don't feel fear, mm-hmm. right? I feel fear every day. Yeah, yeah. And also I think there's sort of, um, 
you know, evolutionary, you know, fear that's handed down for women about being hurt even, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't want to make a man angry in a meeting, you know, because you, you're like, that's some, like I will brace, right, for... Sure, we're hardwired for yeah, some reactions. Yeah, this, yeah, and so I think um, that is... You know, those are the things that I'm trying to unearth about how women experience the world differently. The good thing, I believe, is that because we women have sort of come up that way, uh, we are particularly well suited to adapt, to change, to um, be able to take advantage of opportunities and successes um, in a way that you know, men may not. Like, I handle disappointment well because I don't always expect things to work out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very adaptable. I'm very astute because I've always worked hard to fit in. And what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to do now is think about, like, how do we name those skills that women have developed right. and put a value on them? Because the truth is... Uh, women are remarkably I've also you know in, in my career people will say like oh Jennifer it's a great manager she's really great at getting things done um, she's a great implementer but it's I've been paying attention all along the way to learning strategy and now I do both some of the guys I work with can only do one thing right 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 yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I do think that. Uh, while, you know, I, I feel like I had an understanding politics, it's such a man's game. I had to understand first how their minds work to understand their game, but I but not lose my own sense of self. And I think now that makes me particularly good at it. I, I think I see things that they don't see. I certainly did in 16. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit in, in your first book, Dear Madam President, an open letter to the women that will run the world. Um, I read it over the weekend. Oh. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. And um excited to talk about your, your next book as well. But, but you know, Dear Madam President is a very particular kind of book. And I guess the question I have for you is, coming off of that experience and, you know, dealing with her sister and her passing and that, that yeah. such emotional time. What was the thought process to led, that led you to write that particular type of book? Because you could have written a number of kinds of books. Right. So I wanted to write a book that did not have a mean word about anyone in it. <laughs> yeah, which is unique among campaign uh, retrospectives, I, I would imagine. Yes, and see if you could do that and yeah. if it would sell. And I just, I had a sense that I wanted something positive to come out of that experience. And I just kept coming back to things I had learned from women who do hard things. Okay. You know, so Hillary Clinton, woman who has done hard things. My sister who died of early onset Alzheimer's, a uh, woman who went through hard things. My friend Elizabeth Edwards, um, same, you know, sh- um, and that's what I just kept coming back. And then I had gone through hard things, just coming back to that. And I... Um, knew that I had learned things on the campaign trail that I had not expected to learn because I didn't think it was going to be hard to elect a woman president. And um, talked it over with some edit- an editor, my phenomenal woman, and she's like, you know, you should turn this into a letter of advice to the first woman president. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you think people are going to be ready for that? Because in the fall of 2017, it didn't seem like... And she's like, yeah, by the time we get to the spring, people are ready for that. Yeah. 
that's how it happened. And, you know, in that book, it, well, I guess a question I have is, you describe your experience, Elizabeth Edwards' experience, uh, Hillary Clinton's experience, and in the context of this, you know, this all the Me Too stuff and whatnot, the conversation in the book is talking about some serious problems, but it's sort of operating at a at a high, at a high level. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't get into a lot of the the kind of boorish behavior that men engage in uh, with women in positions of power. Uh, along the way, and you had to have seen some of that in in, in your time in in, in politics. Yeah. Um, w- did you make a choice to keep that sort of stuff out of the book, or, or how would you speak to women that are thinking about how do they deal guess, with that in their careers? I guess I made a choice that what I saw happened after the election. You know, there's a lot of people like me that were very disappointed in the outcome, and I thought, what are women going to think? Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to be, you know, they're going to like, what, what are they going to think about how they are valued in this country that he was elected? And what woman is going to look at what happened to Hillary Clinton and think, do you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm yeah. going to run for office. Like, right, right. And then after a couple of months, women went out and marched in huge numbers. And I was like, wow, they feel empowered. And that's how I felt, too. I felt empowered, which was odd because mm-hmm. you just lost. But I felt empowered because, and I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but it's like, if that guy could be elected president, I can do anything. Yeah. And it, I think it, it just was confirmation for a lot of women. If that outcome can happen, we are playing by the wrong set of rules and I'm changing the game. And so I wanted this book to be, I wanted women to read this book see themselves in it, see their own experience in it, and feel lifted up. Sure. And that was, and there are, you know, women that have other stories to tell about how they're treated in the workplace. I, I personally, it's personally not been, I've been lucky that that's not been my experience, and I didn't think that was my play, that was the book for me to write, but I really wanted to be deliberate about taking the, those women that did feel empowered to, to say you were right to feel that way and you're changing the world just because you're changing the way you engage in it. And, you know, that's every woman from someone who's running for president to, you know, a empty nester mother whose kids left and she's decided that she wants to do more in her community and she has changed that community and changed the world. Like I wanted those women Mm -hmm. to feel like this was their book. Let's talk about that, that phrase you just said of changing the way they, you know, women engage with the world. Um, The first time I thought about this, or it became like more clear on my radar screen. I think it was, I think it was Ezra Klein did an interview with with Hillary Clinton and wrote a piece afterward. And the piece was asking this question: Why is it people that actually work with Hillary quite like her, and why is it that when she's a candidate, people tend not to? And thinking about that, like you've mentioned, politics is a, is a man's game designed by men, tends to reward some very male um, behaviors, and yeah, so when you're talking about how to change the way women engage with the world, whether it's politics or industry or education or whatever, what, what sorts of things are you thinking about? So I do think that, I mean, I wrote a book and I said, I'm going to write a book that's going to be about uh, politics and it's going to be all optimistic. And I'm not going to say a mean thing about anything and that's going to be different. And it 
you know, it yeah. didn't ha- didn't like change the world dramatically, but it it changed. I mean, and and uh, it was a New York Times bestseller, and lots of women have read it, and it has. You know, it's like that's something I put out in the world that changed it. You know, you go out, you can't, you can't, you you've never done campaigning before, and you decide to do it. You have changed that. You have changed the world, and I just want like that, and to change, and if you're able to see yourself differently, and what you're able to do, like. That's how this happens. This isn't about law. You know, there are some laws that we could pass that would make things better um, for women. I'm like newly interested in the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. But largely, this is about what's in your own mind. And what I find, you know, about um, if women had been in charge for the start, we would never have created campaigns. Yeah. (laughs) We would never decide that the best way to pick a leader was to pit two people against each other and put them at podiums and have them like, you know, it's like These farcical debates. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that's not that. So it, 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 I think that is particularly, I think that's particularly why it's hard to elect a woman president. Um, but, you know, the people don't like, people love Hillary when she's not running for an office. And then, but it's the ambition. That's what I think mm. we have a hard time wrapping our heads around because it is, um, it doesn't seem that radical, but in the scope of human history for women to want to be in charge is still a big deal. And, so, you know, there's this thing I would always hear about Hillary in the campaign trail. We had an acronym for it, T-S-A-H-I-J-D-L. Mm-hmm. There's something about her I just don't like. Right, right. That and really that's... struck me because I'm so interested in, you know, I do some research on implicit bias and, and, and other sort of blind spots that we have. And, and, and that struck me as like a blind spot, a, you know, coded language that, that means something else, even if, even if the person articulating it is not aware Oh, I think they're not aware. Yeah, yeah, I think they're not aware. I think there is something. I the way I've come to see it with Hillary um, is, I think that she has um, ever since she was a college student, she um, and she was the commencement speaker at her class, and she challenged. She like had an anti-war statement in her commencement speech, and she ended up on the cover of Life magazine, and she was like the female face of the baby boomer generation that was like taken on the power and. There's something, and then she was Hillary Rodham, who married Bill Clinton but didn't change her name, mm-hmm. and he lost the, his governor's race. The baking race, cookies come in, baking cookies, and and then she was the first first lady who worked on policy. Had and there's something vexing. There's something like we don't know what to make of that. It's confounding. There's something about it we just don't like, right, and right. there's something about her I just don't trust, mm. um, and. Um, and also there's a lot, you know, for, you know, a lot of women didn't vote for her. Um, there's plenty of reasons, legitimate reasons not to, um, if you don't agree with her. I also think a lot of women couldn't quite relate to her. Like, I can't, I'm not as smart as her. I could never accomplish what she did. And so that doesn't, you know, whereas in a man, you know, we're more comfortable, we're more familiar, we're more used, used to, to seeing yeah. that. And yeah. it's something that we celebrate. And it's just, you know, we're not there yet with women. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Jeff Petticord, and you're listening to A New Angle. You think women feel threatened by Hillary? Hillary? Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Like, yeah, yeah, like, how does that work? I'm interested yeah. in this dynamic of, you know, certainly there's discrimination, men discriminating against women, either overtly or covertly, but... Sometimes women don't treat each other that well either. Uh, yeah, gender bias isn't, you know, 
gender bias. Yeah. So we all hold these things in our heads. So for sure, we saw um, a lot of women. Um, uh, that there was something about the same thing you hear from the men. Something about I just don't like. Something about I just don't trust. Um, but also, not something. Didn't find her candidacy something to celebrate. It was unfamiliar to them. And also, I think a lot of women you know would say we do research on this they said like she makes me feel bad like i can't mm. ever be as smart as her or successful yeah. as her so this is complicated you know I, I we elected the first black president and so i thought that was a hard thing to do in america and way harder than electing the first woman president and you would I, think going into it yeah yeah i mean you know like history about that in this country is not great no. um and it's just different. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was didn't not it's not what I expected to um, to find. At what point in the campaign did you feel like this was a bigger deal than you expected? Emails that it just stuck around, like you couldn't get away from yeah. that story. Do we swear on? You can swear, the, yeah. Have at it's it. It's such bullshit. It's like so the yeah. I think that that issue um, that there was going to be some issue in which the like question about unease about a woman's ambition would be manifested, and this is what it was. And if it wasn't emails, it would have been something else, okay. like maybe the Clinton. That is like my very sincere. Belief, and I would go through this with um, reporters, and they would say, "Like, well, why did she do it?" And they could tell why she did it. It's like, "Well, why did she really do it?" You know, yeah. and that, and um, I would say to them, "Now, if let's say Barack Obama lost the 2008 primary, Hillary Clinton was president. He was Secretary of State. He used personal email, had a personal email server. The server was like a huge obsession. It's like, well." Her husband's a former president. They had a server for security reasons. Yeah, if your spouse yeah. had your own server, you'd probably use it too. Like, I don't get it. And now we're seeing how commonplace it is. It's yeah, like it's ridiculous. ridiculous. So, uh, but, but uh, you know, it's like, would you be suspicious of him? Well, no. Well, why are you suspicious of her? Well, she's always so sketchy. She's always hiding something. She's And I'm, I'd say, listen to yourself. Like, mm. what, you know... You are, well, going back to Whitewater, well, Whitewater was nothing, right? Water was nothing. They spent a long time investigating that. The New York Times will even admit that there was nothing there after they spent a long time investigating it. It's like, you are justifying your suspicions of her because you've had suspicions of her for decades. That's, um, you know, so it was like in the summer of 2015 where I realized whoa because it was like then she needs to apologize and she apologized and it wasn't enough and i was like okay this is like getting to like witchcraft like witch trial deep conspiracy theory stuff territory um and then but it was not until october of 16 that i realized what we the campaign staff had done to her which was i was like oh we have turned her into a female facsimile of the qualities we look for in a male president okay so I was like, no wonder people think she's inauthentic. Yeah. You're like forcing her into this like ill-fitting suit because we had to prove she can do the job just the same. Nothing will be different. Mm-hmm. Like we actually set out to prove that it didn't matter that she was a woman. Right. That right. was like our goal. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, well, no wonder, you know, because you said like Ezra Klein brought up that people who work for her love her as I do and then you know and it's like how does the caricature happen and I think that's part of the process of the caricature is 
you know, she's instructed to behave a certain way that's not natural to her and that, you know, gives people the wrong impression of her and then, you know, cascades into, you know, there's something about her I just don't like to thousands of people chanting and lock her up. You know, that's the continuum. Yeah, or anywhere along that continuum. It could yeah. be just some lack of, dis- you know, some discomfort with a sense of inauthenticity all the way down that chain mm-hmm. and, you know, in an, an election that is decided by small numbers of votes that... that the irrational hatred is, yeah. you know, that's what you get. You say people like, like, do you really think someone who's as horrible as you believe her to be could actually, you know, exist and succeed? And, you know, it's not, that's what really troubles me. It's like that, not that they think that about her, although like that's disturbing, but that you believe that the, that this country is a place where someone who, you know, a lot of people believe she commit murder, you know, and yeah. they, Really dark thoughts. Really dark stuff. But they they believe that she did that and they believe a person like that can succeed here. And if you hold those two thoughts in your head, well, no wonder you, like, come to some of the conclusions you do about, you know, who to support. But Mm -hmm. that's a really dark view of our country if you think someone like that can succeed the way she did. I'm kind of glad that wasn't in your book. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty darn dark. Let's talk about some of the women in this cycle, yeah. in this primary, some really strong women candidates, mm-hmm. strong male candidates as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that some of the female candidates are doing that you, you, you sort of see as like, okay, they're onto something, they're, they're sort of yeah, trying I this think, the right way? Yeah, um, I think Elizabeth Warren, because she set out to say, you know, I'm going to run a policy, and everybody's like, nobody cares about policy, and she's like, that's what I'm doing, and she did it, yeah. and and it's striking a chord, and she's doing, um, she's I, doing great. I loved her um, answer to the electability question just last week, like, I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll see. <laughs> you'll yeah. see. I'll, I'm electable. Yeah, yeah, that is, and I think a lot of them have that same sort of attitude. Um, now it's like, well, I'm just going to do it, or I... Um, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, I went to, um, I went to, a, a good friend of mine is, uh, was going to, was speaking on her behalf and I went with her to the, to Kirsten's, um, announcement and, uh, I've known her for a long time and she was like, thank you for writing this book, dear Madam President. She's like, I don't know if you realized it, but you wrote it for me because I am going to be the first mm. woman president. Like Kirsten Gillibrand, like full-on believes yeah. like and I was like I, I think maybe you are because she's awful um convincing that way and um Kamala Harris is someone I've gotten to know well too and really like her um I mean obviously super smart super strong very warm person and I do think that each of these women and I do I think they feel gratitude towards Hillary they they are able to be themselves more in a way that like I just don't feel like was possible for her mm-hmm Let's pivot to your to your new book. So you're here in Missoula, spending a lot of time writing. We did yeah. a little bit of the math of your workday earlier on. Tell us yeah. about that project and and what inspired it and where 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 you want it to go. So it's a declaration of independence from the man's world. Okay. Um, and it's written to coincide with the um, anniversary of suffrage, which will be next mm-hmm. August, August eighteenth, twenty twenty, hundred years. And um, part, uh, I, I, you know, I think part, I think most Americans don't appreciate that it's only been a hundred years that women have the right to vote. Yeah, this state, not very long. Isn't it amazing? You know, Hil- Hillary Clinton's mother 
was born on the day that the Senate passed the 19th Amendment. Wow. So, and then her daughter was a Democratic nom, almost became president mm-hmm. of the United States, right? So that's like, not, not like Hillary's grandmother, like Dorothy Rodham, her mother. So it's pretty recent. Um, obviously, this state has a great history. Jeanette Rankin, the first woman elected to Congress, um, and the f- only woman to actually be able to vote in Congress for suffrage. Right, right. Which Although, is a pretty, Annette, I, you know, we very little success for women candidates since in since, Montana. Yeah. Um, I'm doing, actually, uh, one of the things I'm doing in Missoula is I'm doing a fundraiser for Carol's List, the awesome. Carol Williams group that uh, raises money to help women uh, run for office. Yeah, and I've talked to Carol Williams um, about that in previous visits, and I know that, you know, and she's made it a priority when she was in the Senate. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I think Whitney Williams could be a candidate for she governor. Could. We had and Carol and Whitney on last oh, month oh. and they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they they are they are really great. But the um the point of the book is just to to for women to appreciate that um that uh, it's not a declaration of war. Men are not my enemy, but mm-hmm. but that I I don't see any reason for women to continue to follow a man's path and expect it to work out the same way it does for them. It's just, and it's you know I've I've always thought I could do a job just as well as a man, but um, I don't want to do it the same way. I want right. to do it the way I want to do it, and you know we keep bumping into the same glass ceilings and understand that I think we've plateaued in the man's world. I sort of I've, I my whole career I thought it was the destination. <laughs> All right. I thought that yeah. was, I thought, um, and now I just see it differently. It's like, all right, we were passing through. We've learned a lot here, um, modeling ourselves after, you know, their sort of skill set and um, education plans. And, um, but find that most women who experience really big success go outside of existing power systems to do it. I'm talking like Oprah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's talk you about know, some prominent you know, examples. Like that, you know, so that, um, you know, that um, a lot of the women that are starting new media yeah, outlets, yeah. Um, you know, Reese Witherspoon with her um, Hello Sunshine, I'm, I'm helping a couple women who've left other media outlets to start um, to start their own, just, just to realize, like, y- you don't quite fit into a sort of a normal corporate structure. Um, and um, fortunately, you know, there's technology exists, um and you know, educational opportunities exist that women can 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 do that. It's still harder um, than it should be, but uh, you know, again, it's an optimistic as as the first book, an optimistic book. Um, f- but it's like for women, like stop. You're not doing it wrong. It's just this is not the this is not it. This is not the place for you. Right, you so are p- like playing we the wrong passing, game. Or yeah, the we're wrong like rules passing. Or- we're just uh, we're just uh, passing through. So that's the that's the theory. And so when it, so this is set to come out in, in August. It's gonna, it's, well, it's going to come out um, next spring. Okay. But um, but that is but the theory is you know the, it's interesting you know we talked a little bit before about how you can change the world by changing how you engage in it and in um, the Declaration of Sentiments um, at Seneca Falls um, that. You know, I, I sort of look at these in chunks of time, and they, three women uh, from one family, sat down at their kitchen table, and they were assigned, 
the task of drafting the Declaration of Sentiments, and this was going to be a women's convention to talk about women's rights. Whether or not they asked for suffrage was a very big controversial thing. Mm -hmm. And these four women from the McClintock family sat down, a mom and two daughters, uh, to write the Declaration of Sentiments, and one of them had the genius idea of modeling it after the Declaration of Independence. And all they did was change two words. They added, and women. Mm. We hold these truths to be self-evident that men and women are created equal. And um, that's the genius, right, of the document. That's the genius of these women that they saw it is self-evident, right? I don't need to prove that I'm equal to men. It is self-evident. And that's what we're adding here. It took 72 years from that Declaration of Sentiments to when women actually got the right to vote. Yeah. That was 1920. 72 years more, we got to 1992, which women considered to be the year of the woman because six women got elected to the United States Senate. We thought that was a big deal, right? And now, uh, you know, so these things, um, but I wanted to honor that, like, you know, see women, those three women sat down at their farm table. They're not, you know, they didn't have any power (laughs) and they wrote this document. Mm -hmm. They made it happen. They made it happen and they changed the world because they changed the way they engaged with it. So that's what I want women to see. We were part of that, like, arc. You're not out there on your own. So thinking about you know, these, the first book, the second book that you're in the midst of writing, um, you know, at the University of Montana, we're engaged in the Sea Change Initiative in the yep. lead up to, the, to March 2020. And it's, it's something that, that we've been investigating in this series is, is how should universities be thinking about this challenge of empowering women to think of the rules of the game differently or to imagine a different way of engaging and whether that's programs we create or whether that's, you know, me as a professor thinking differently about my role in the classroom. Um, any advice? I mean, you've yeah. been, you've been around universities, been around a lot yeah. of young people trying to break in. Yeah. yeah. And I am, I know, um, I actually have known, uh, I knew Seth and Chelsea Bodner outside of this work. Um, mm-hmm through uh because uh, they were friends with Chelsea Clinton um, and so I've talked a lot with the two of them about this um, and I think that the the way the the things that there's like women can make changes in their own by what they uh, what they think about themselves in their own mind and you know just like trusting that you know just like if we weren't meant I do not believe that my creator would put ambition and trust in myself in my gut if I wasn't supposed to act on it, right? <laughs> like, I don't believe that. Yeah. So women shouldn't, like, when they, the, the thing that doesn't quite sit right with you, you are right. Like, you know, in some reason, at some level, you're right to have the imposter syndrome because you're operating in this in a world that wasn't built with you in mind. Hmm. But, 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 but you are, because you have been doing that your whole life, you have gained enormous knowledge and skill that's very valuable. But, like, trust your confusion. When you're like, this doesn't sit right with me, you're right. There's something at the root of that that's um, that's probably about your gender and you should voice and you should act on it. I think for men, it's like, you know, listen certainly to women and listen to yourselves. I hear a lot of times, particularly in politics, men will talk about a, a, a male prospect as a candidate and see a lot of potential and then a woman's got the same sort of resume and not see it in her that is a real and very big thing 
Uh, it's a big thing. There's a lot of research about this. We judge men on their potential. We judge women on their record. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for people to really listen to what they say, um, listen to yourself and how and 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 your own thoughts. You know, like I think about this with um, Beto O'Rourke. Mm-hmm. You know, Pete Buttigieg, two great um, leaders, great can- Democratic candidates. Um, I was like, oh, Beto's so inspiring. And they're like, wait, what's at the root of that? Yeah, where does that come from? Beto's so inspiring talking about uh, why it's okay for NFL athletes to lead, to kneel, partly, not only, but partly because he's a white man. <laughs> so when he's, right, when he's defending yeah. black athletes, it's selfless, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. When a black candidate does that it's not as inspiring when a, when a woman does it as a candidate it's like well she's trying to be the first one president she's trying to take it's some power there so it's like you just got to be really just be really thoughtful about your try to be very aware of what your own biases are do you have examples of you know, organizations or people you've worked for or with that are doing this particularly well, whether it's the way they mentor the people they work with or whether it's the way they've structured their organization and reward certain behaviors? That's an interesting question. I think um, um, there are some uh, – on pol- in politics, there's the Barbara Lee Institute, which I think is very good on these like questions about bias and how we see them and how women can sort of help um, handle them. The institution that comes to mind, though, is the United States women's soccer team. Mm, Great example. (laughs) I mean, this is what – here's what I see with those women. Those women saw the 1999 women's soccer team. Mm -hmm. And in 1999, the United States women won for, I think, the first time. Maybe it wasn't the first time, but they won. All of America celebrated it. All of America watched it. I could be mistaken. I think it's the most watched soccer game in U.S. history, the 1999 Something game. like that. It's something like yeah. that. I mean, that and was the example I was thinking about when you brought up the, the ritual of watching men perform on Sundays. Yeah. Like this World Cup team, like we're, that's the World changing Cup the team. game. That is, that is – so those women um, – uh, they had seen it before. They'd seen women win, and they'd seen America embrace them. And God loved this women's soccer team who also welcomed. I saw um, Alex Morgan be interviewed. She's like, you know, it's so interesting because she's like, all I wanted was to be a professional soccer player, where I know women my age didn't know you could be a professional soccer player, mm-hmm. right? But Alex saw I can be a professional soccer yeah. player. And then Alex said, but I didn't appreciate, oh, there's a lot of responsibility that comes up with it. I got to be a role model. I got to advocate for women in other industries. I got to, but they were like very willing to take that on. And it's like when um, uh, Megan Rapino said, I'm the, you know, I deserve this, right? So she, you know, yeah. and it, it's like a provable fact. She did deserve this. And so, you know, we're comfortable with it. And I just think, you know, when women say, we get used to hearing women say, like, I deserve this um, accolades and other venues, you know, that I was like, this is really inspiring to me because I was like, that's how generational change happens. And you can see it in real time with the, with that team. Well, you can see it in, in, in kids watching that team too. I mean, some of these things, like, like you mentioned before, you know, a hundred years is, is not that long. It feels painfully long in other, in other ways. Yeah. But you know, when I watch my daughters watch that team or just the way they engage with, with 
with my wife and I, who we both work full time. It's just the, the, some of these effects will occur over time too. I mean, they need to happen faster. But, right. But, what I hope for the generations like your, how old is your daughter? Uh, we have two, nine mm-hmm. and seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Nine. There's nothing more confident in the world than a nine-year-old oh, girl. Yeah. Right. And then somewhere along the way, they're taught. They taught something. It is not ingrained in them, right? Because yeah. that's not how they come into the world. So right. what I hope now, what I hope is happening now, is that generation isn't going to learn. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of that when you brought up fear, yeah. being in the world with fear, and, fear. and I think about that with my daughters, like. As a responsible, uh, what's my responsibility as a parent? Do I need to tell them that there are situations in which they need to be afraid, or you know, to mm-hmm. prepare them for that? Yeah, yeah. Because those are some realities those that are, yeah, you know, you're unwise are. if you don't train your kids on. But at the same time, that's a big suitcase to be lugging around your whole life. I know, I know, I know. But but you know, but that it, but I but there's there's progress, right? Yeah, there's like progress absolutely. being. Um, yeah, but that is like that's the goal. The goal is the nine-year-old girl stays that, yeah. stays that way, right. right? That's how you come in. That's how you came into this world. So, your first book took you ten weeks to write. Mm, your yeah. second book, um, probably it's, more, it's longer. But you're gonna have it done before this election, 2020. Oh, so, yeah, like, right. Right. is it weird to be sort of a little bit? Yeah, I wouldn't say you're on the sidelines necessarily, mm-hmm. but. You know what's what's the deal with the campaign? Are you gonna sign on to one of these campaigns, or what's what's your plan? I do. I um. I don't have. I don't plan to. I don't plan to do that. I do. Um. Uh, I do help people who ask for my help. It's interesting. I do. It's weird to be in a situation when where you um. So, like some of these people are my colleagues. I yeah. know. I know most of. I know almost all of them. I don't know Beto work, and I don't know Pete Buttigieg. But I think otherwise. Um, I don't know Marion Williamson um, or Tulsi Gabbard, but otherwise I know them all. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm a big fan of your governor. He's mm-hmm. a good friend of mine. Yep. Mentioned that before. Um, I met him two years ago. My husband uh, had worked with him during the Obama administration, okay. and Jim would talk him up a lot. And I was like, oh, like. I don't know. Red state Democrat. Like a lot of times they win because they just trash the party. And then I met him and, you know, heard about all the things that he's managed to pass in Montana, Mm -hmm. Medicaid expansion and getting rid of dark money and a lot of great stuff on Eagle Pay. And I was like, wait, where did you? Because like I met him, I was like, I said, where did you come from? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm glad the Democrats are paying such attention to Montana. But uh uh, I just think he's a real, just first, like, one of the most decent people I've ever met in politics, but also, you know, someone who can bridge divides, which is something I worry. These are the two things Gosh, I obsess yeah. about women, but then how are we going to bridge these, like, big divides? Yeah. And so someone like Steve, who's, uh, you know, done a good job here doing that, and listen, he really listens to people in a way. It's an interesting thing about Montana. I find men here listen I feel heard and listened here in a way that I don't if hmm. I'm like in Silicon Valley or New York or yeah, the places, the super progressive places. Interesting. I wonder what we can attribute that to. I, I don't know. There's the Western. I do think that there's a, I've talked to, this is something I've talked to Carol Williams about because uh-huh. it said, you know, 
I know that Montana doesn't do great in electing women, although the state legislatures has a higher average than right. the rest of the country. But you haven't had a statewide elected uh, woman or right or since Janet Rankin, I yeah, guess. Yeah, quite I a while. Think. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, maybe state. I'm not sure statewide, but certainly way back. Yeah, the commercial seat goes back to her. Um, and I said, but I do feel like maybe because historically life here had been difficult that men and women are in a, a partnership there feels to be yeah. sort of a uh, respect um and she said yeah she agreed with that but she said but you know women need like more of a push to like put themselves out there to actually uh, actually run which is not um uh unusual but i find that um uh you know here um and like steve Volk's a good um example of a very good listener. Yeah, I think that's why he does well. Speaking of listening, so, uh, you know, kind of not uh, engaged directly with any of these campaigns at the mm-hmm. moment. In the meantime, you came in listening to something on your iPhone. <laughs> what are you listening to on your iPhone? <laughs> it's, it's a great question. I love, I am obsessed. This is what I do. I travel. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't. I'm not interested really in the coasts anymore. I've like learned everything I have to learn there. So I, I go to um, places I want to visit to see bands I want to see. Like I okay. came to Missoula last year to see Jason Isbell, who I'm, I'm a very big fan of. His. I mm-hmm. went to Tupelo, Mississippi, to see him there too. I'm traveling around a bunch to see Rustin Kelly, who people may not know, but he's Casey Musgrave's husband. People do know her. Okay. Um, yeah, the more famous side of that couple uh but as i came in i was listening to ashley mcbride do you know her i do not she is oh, i just love her she um very uh uh blue collar country singer she's got a great album called girl going nowhere it got nominated for a lot of grammys but casey musgraves won all of them and uh yeah it was girl going nowhere that's what i was listening to when awesome. i came in i yeah. thought you might say west wing weekly because you're such a <laughs> <laughs> prolific guest star on West Wing Weekly. I, I, I love those guys. I, yeah, those guys. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I go on that occasionally. I am a. Uh, I worked in West Wings for a long time, yeah, yeah. so they do find that I, I have a good knowledge. You're base relevant. You have a lot of relevant uh, expertise uh, for, for for that show, <laughs> <laughs> and that show only. But yeah. Well. So. Jen, I really find your expertise relevant, not only to that show, <laughs> but to our audience, to what we're Thank doing you, here at Justin. the University of Montana yeah. and all around the country. Uh, I think about it as an educator, um, but also as a father. And um, yeah, can't thank you enough for yeah. coming on and, and, uh, and for the work you're doing. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. All right. That was super fun. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Check out Dear Madam President and be on the lookout for Jen's next book coming out next spring. All right, coming up next week, we have Nora Sachs, creator and host of the award-winning Richest Hill podcast. If you're interested in Montana's history of mining and what it means for the state and its people today, tune in next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors, These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, 
If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word. Be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.